Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. And I'm Leticia Niego, the 2022 president-elect. We also have Helena Hodges, our vice president of finance and operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing an award-winning freelance e-learning designer, a regular speaker at international e-learning conferences, a LinkedIn learning instructor, the creator of the e-learning designers academy, and the author of the e-learning designers handbook, Tim Slade. Welcome, Tim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled you are here. I could not be more excited about today's topic, which is a portfolio is your new resume. But before we get into that, before we jump in and start a conversation I have been looking forward to for a really long time now, we would love to hear a little bit more about you. So I'd love it if you'd spend a few minutes introducing yourselves to our listeners. As you mentioned in the introduction, my name is Tim, and I work primarily as a freelance e-learning designer during my during Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And when I'm not helping clients develop custom e-learning solutions, uh, I also run the e-learning designers academy where I help mentor, uh, train, and support other e-learning designers and instructional designers who are looking to upskill and uh, reskill and get into this industry. And I've been, you know, I've been working in the field of e-learning and instructional design for over 10 years now, but I don't have any background in it, formal background or education. I actually used to uh, catch shoplifters for a living and I have a degree in criminal justice. And then uh, one day my boss said, hey, you're good at that. You should train others how to catch shoplifters. And so I did that. And, and that's how I kind of fell into uh, this industry. And the rest is kind of history from there. I think that's one of the more interesting entry points into talent development that I have heard. That's kind of fantastic, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the thing that I've learned over the years is that there's a lot of, um, there's not a single front door into this industry. There's like a lot of back doors, you know? That's and right. So uh, I, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people is how they fell into this industry because the story is always fascinating to hear. Oh, it's true. And everyone has a great story. It really is amazing. So. I've been really excited about this topic. And the reason for that is because so many of us have spent hours carefully curating resumes and CVs. We have built out our LinkedIn profiles. Some of us even have websites that we use to promote some of our skills and abilities. So to kick things off today, I kind of want to start with what seems like the obvious question, which is, what is a professional portfolio? And is it different from some of the more traditionally used ways that we tell potential employers or clients or colleagues about ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, when I... uh, I'm going to go back to when I first got into this industry. It wasn't even on my radar that I would ever need a portfolio. And in fact, I don't think it was a very common thing in our industry. It was, you know, if you're a graphic designer or a, you know, a photographer, then you needed a portfolio. And then a few years later, then it evolved to being, if you're a freelancer, you need a portfolio. 
And now I think we're having this shift in our industry where more and more employers are asking candidates and expecting candidates to come to the table with a portfolio to show evidence of their skills. And I think um, we can get into the reasons why. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why that's that shift has changed. Uh, but but to answer your question, like how is it different or, or what is it related to, you know, some of the more traditional ways that we go about applying for jobs and uh, and listing, I, I hesitate to use the word showcasing our skills because that's the thing about resumes. Resumes do a really yeah. good job listing your your credentials and your employment history in chronological order. But the problem is, is that it does a really lousy job proving your skills. I could, anyone can put on the resume that they're amazing articulate storyline developer, but I would want to see evidence of that. I could put on my resume that I'm a great salsa dancer, but (laughs) if I were to go apply for a salsa dancing job, I would probably assume they'd want to see my salsa dancing skills before they'd hire me. Right. That's the problem (laughs) with resumes is they don't, they do a really lousy job showcasing your skills. And so people, you know, want to see evidence of it. And that, that, that's what a portfolio does. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, especially from the perspective of wanting to prove that you know what you're talking about. It is one thing for us to try to find the right words to describe what we know how to do. It's a very different thing to actually demonstrate it or show it to people. And as we're talking about the the difference, I guess, between what you might have through something like LinkedIn versus an actual portfolio, what would typically be found in a portfolio? If a talent development professional is thinking, maybe this is the time to start one, what would you typically expect to find in a portfolio? Yeah. I mean, the, the great thing, the thing I love about portfolios is that they are in a way, an extension and a representation of that individual's personality and what ultimately becomes their brand. And what I like about that is, you know, anytime you go to somebody's portfolio, uh, it, you don't really know what you're going to get from it. Uh, they, they all look different. And I think that's what's special about portfolios is they, they help illustrate, you know, uh, your personality. And LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn is more, in my opinion, it's just a digital version of your resume. That's yeah. really all that is. Yeah. Uh, you can add projects and showcase things and post things and contribute to the industry. But a portfolio is like, it's like the storefront of you. You know, it's the storefront of your brand. People can go to it. They can learn about you, see an image of you, uh, learn a little bit about maybe what your process is, what services, quote unquote, you offer as a candidate, or, you know, in my case, what services I offer as a freelancer. And then, of course, you know, samples of your work. They, people want to see uh, demonstrations that you can do the things that you say you can do. And that's hopefully, you know, at, at the crux of it, that's what you want to see in a portfolio. Um, so it's it's kind of it's just I, I view it as the storefront. It's it's the storefront of who you are as a professional in this industry. Right. And I know a big part of your background is e-learning. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering for those of us who perhaps have either done something else or maybe worked in a different part of the industry. I'm thinking, for example, there may be instructional designers out there. Uh, Is there a need for a portfolio? Do you think that portfolios are only for e-learning professionals or are there opportunities for others to be able to create portfolios as well? That's a great question. I think uh, it, it definitely, logically, it makes 
the most sense that e-learning designers, developers uh, would have a portfolio because e-learning is a form of mixed multimedia, right? It's a visual medium. You can see it. It's easy to represent on a portfolio. But I do think, I do think it, it definitely can benefit even if you're just an instructional designer creating instructor-led content, or maybe you're doing upfront instructional design, or even if you're just writing storyboards, even if you're a classroom facilitator, if you can get some videos of you facilitating, that can be part of your portfolio. Uh, and so I think portfolios are for anybody who uh, does something that requires skill that you can then illustrate to somebody else on your portfolio, whether that's showing examples of, you know, presentations you've created for an instructor-led training or uh, a curriculum that you've outlined or a storyboard that you've written, uh, you can can put all of that on a portfolio to to showcase that skill set. Yeah, I love the way that you explain that too, because it really does encourage everyone to kind of come up with that creative license to present their work in a way that invites people in to review it. You know, very different Mm -hmm. than you may have a a little bit of an e-learning course that you can offer. And I think that for many people, that's a very natural entry point. But for those who don't or for those who do other things, it's nice to know that there might be that way to really showcase not just your work, but a little bit of your personality, too. And, you know, that, like I said, the invitation really to get to know you in a different way through the lens of that work. So I'm thrilled to hear that that's something that all of us really should be keeping in mind as TD professionals. And it kind of gets me thinking too, and I think you touched on this a little bit, especially as a freelancer. There are Mm -hmm. a lot of perceptions that if you're a freelancer, you should have some sort of a portfolio. Does having a portfolio benefit you if you are not? A freelancer, if perhaps you work in a more traditional employment situation, or maybe you don't have any intention of going off to do consulting or freelance work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, uh, we kind of talked about this a, a, a while ago, or I alluded to it is our industry is shifting. And even if you're just, you know, you want to be an individual contributor at a company as an instructional designer, or an e-learning developer, or just a learning professional in general, uh, the, the thing that's changed in our industry that I think has caused more and more employers to want a portfolio is, you know, it, if you were to go back 10, 15 years ago, if you were to hire some, if you wanted to create, say, an e-learning course or even a video, right, you would have to go hire somebody or work with somebody with that specialized skill set, meaning you know, the tools that were available for creating e-learning were very complex and they weren't user-friendly and they required probably some coding knowledge or creating a video required expensive, complicated video editing software and expensive equipment. But nowadays, if you think about it, I mean, we all have a video production studio in our pocket. Uh, All of the tools that we use today, whether it's Storyline or even Captivate or Rise or PowerPoint or Camtasia, all of these tools are so simple and easy to use. And and what the the point I'm trying to make is that the, the ability for us to create multimedia has become increasingly easier. And as a result, employers are expecting, even if you're just an instructional designer, They want what I call or what's called a T-shaped employee, somebody who has broad capability, but deep expertise. And what that means is that even if you're an instructional designer, 
if if they need you to go produce and edit a video, you can. Or if they need you to maybe go build a simple e-learning course and rise, you can because those tools have become so much easier. And so even if you're and, and they want to, and that goes then to that's why they want to see evidence of those skills. And so yes, absolutely having a portfolio, even if you're not planning on being a freelancer uh, or ever making the leap into freelancing, it is the one thing that can very quickly set you apart in that pool of applicants. I mean, I used to manage a team of instructional designers at a large technology company. And, you know, if I had, if I had a hundred applicants, maybe four or five of them had a portfolio and I gave all of my initial attention to those four or five people before I looked at anyone else, because it was the quickest way to go. Can they do the thing I need them to do right now? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, really. And I think even to some of what you shared, even if perhaps you wouldn't necessarily think you have the skill set to build a portfolio, I know a lot of us are lifelong learners. And so looking for ways that you might be able to learn how to use video software, for example, or perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some skill set that you might be able to develop in the background. Perhaps it's not something you're really using in your job, but it is an opportunity for you to continue to build and grow. And in a way, all of that really combines into that portfolio experience, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point about the capability of building a portfolio, uh, just like it's become so much easier to use all the tools that are commonly used in our industry, the same thing has happened with the web development industry. Mm, you, yeah. you can go create a website with Google Sites for free, you know, within a few minutes. And it's it's just a matter of dragging and dropping and typing in some things. You don't need to be a web developer to create a website anymore either. Yeah. And, you know, I think that kind of leads me to another question. When you're thinking about where your portfolio should live, how do you find the right tool for building an online portfolio? Do you need to go to the the depths of getting a URL and setting up hosting and, you know, finding a WordPress theme? Or are there other ways, easier ways maybe to do that? Yeah. I mean, you can do all of that. That's, you know, I have, I purchased my own domain and I have a WordPress website and, yeah. and I, you know, this was... 10 plus years ago when I first created my WordPress website. And it was me spending weeks and weeks and weeks watching YouTube videos to figure it out, right? Uh, But now, you know, whether it's through GoDaddy or Wix or Squarespace or Weebly or even Google Sites, uh, I mean, these tools have made it so easy that you can do everything from purchase your domain, build the website, connect it to your domain, and do all of those things without, you know... uh, ever getting more technical beyond, you know, using your Facebook page, essentially, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you're, it's, it's, it's really that simple. It's tech for those who aren't that techie to begin with. It makes it way easier. I think you're totally right about that. Yeah. And kind of along those lines too, branding is a big part of this. And I know you've kind of talked a little bit about the personality that can go into building a portfolio. How do you brand yourself in a way that can make you especially interesting or set you apart if you are working with potential clients or employers? And along those lines, I guess, how can you really use a portfolio to sell your skills and talents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the question about branding yourself... I haven't yet figured out the answer to that. So this is me thinking, <laughs> this is going to be me thinking yeah. out loud a little bit. Good. Because, good. because I, uh, 
when people talk about their brand, I'm never sure whether they're talking about the actual visual design, like the tactical mm-hmm. elements of their brand, or yes. they're talking about their brand in terms of how others perceive them. Exactly. And it's a combination of the two, right? Yeah. Like my, my brand, I have a specific font and a specific color set and a style that I use. And I, I came about that. I mean, just to give context, it, it wasn't something that was masterminded by me. It was something like, I remember we were, I was on a road trip and we were driving home and I was like, Oh, I'd really, I, I realized I really like the colors, uh, the red and blue with white and, and a black combined together. And I Googled mm-hmm. that and I found something that I like, and then I just mimicked it and made it my own. Like that was the amount of mastermind evil genius that went behind it is me Googling <laughs> a color scheme. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it evolves over time. And then you, and then you realize, you know, it, it becomes more formalized as part of your brand. And then there's the other part of your brand. That's how people perceive you. And I think that is, you know, it, that is how you quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, show up online, like the things you share on LinkedIn, how you comment and how you treat other people online and the co- content you might share that becomes part of your brand as well. So yeah, that's, it's, it's, yes, it's colors and fonts and the images, but it's, it's a lot of other stuff that makes your brand. And so I, I tell people, you know, go look at other people's portfolios, see, like deconstruct the colors they're using, the fonts they're using, what their, you know, headshot looks like and, and find the elements that speak to you and, mimic those and that becomes your brand and it'll evolve over time. You know, it's, it's Mm. one of those things that you can't figure out until you just start playing around with it. And and then it, and then it'll, it'll, it'll come to fruition out of that. And it's fun to do anyway, you know, playing with color schemes and logo design and font treatments and things like that. It kind of adds dimension to the work and offers you that chance to insert your personality. So I I have to laugh a little bit because I went through the same thing when creating a logo for myself. Mm-hmm. I ended up going with my favorite colors and they were kind of inspired by the tennis court colors at the U.S. Open. So you never know where you're going to get inspiration. The important thing is, is that you use it, right? Yep. And that you're consistent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a difficult question. And I think it's because there are a lot of us who find that we're excited about starting a portfolio, but what we share can pose a few roadblocks to us. Mm -hmm. A lot of times... TD professionals don't necessarily have a portfolio because they're not allowed to showcase some of the training that they've created for former for former or current employees. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or tips or best practices about curating some of those portfolio examples so that you might have something to be able to share. Yeah. So there's two things I want to say about that. Let me, uh, uh, I want to answer kind of at the 30,000 foot level, what you should be putting in your portfolio and then get down to that, the, the practical nature of your right. How do you deal with proprietary content? So, you know, at the 30,000 foot level, I always tell people the biggest mistake you can make with your portfolio is using it to showcase all of your work. I I mean, my first portfolio had everything from workbooks to presentations to graphics I've created and some e-learning courses. And what happened as a result of that is people started calling me 
for that type of work. And I realized I was like, oh crap, I don't really want to be doing those things. I was just putting it on my portfolio to showcase my work. Right. And so I realized, and this is what I always tell people, your portfolio should represent, you should curate your portfolio to represent three things. What it is that you really enjoy doing, what it is that you want to be hired for, and what you're really, really good at. And where those three things intersect, that is what should go on your portfolio, whether it's work you, you've you created to put on your portfolio or work from, from past employers or clients. And, uh, and for me, like I can tell you exactly where those three things intersect on my portfolio. I... I, I am really good at, I really enjoy doing, and I want to be hired for clients who are looking for articulate storyline developers or video developers who create highly engaging e-learning or multimedia content. That is exactly, if you were to go to my portfolio, that's what it showcases. And that means that, uh, and I fully admit this uh, proudly, that not all of my portfolio examples are 100% instructionally sound. Some of the things I've created just because it looks really good or because yeah. it, it it showcases those specific skill sets. And so that's that's really what you have to focus in on. And usually you don't know how to answer those three questions until you've done a lot of work and realize what you hate doing and what you love doing and what you're really good at. Yeah, so true. And in terms of the, the tactical question of like, well, what how do you deal with proprietary content? I'm a big yeah. proponent of uh, creating your own examples that can go on your portfolio. And the reason why is because most of the work that we do nine to five during our work hours, uh, isn't that exciting <laughs> and is <laughs> probably not portfolio worthy anyways. I mean, I, I, so often I've worked on projects at work that started out really good, but then subject matter experts have a way of editing it out of its coolness, you know? <laughs> yeah, we've been there. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I tell people, you know, go pick a topic and go create a course on it. And it's really freeing and it's really liberating when you're not under the constraints of a subject matter expert or brand guidelines or your, your boss approving it. You can create whatever you want. And I'll give you one quick example. Like on my portfolio, I have a course on how to cook a turkey. And <laughs> the reason I created that course was because one year I was living away from home and I didn't go home for Thanksgiving. So I had a week off and I was really bored. So I thought, let me put my storyline skills into practice. And I created this really stupid little course on how to cook a turkey. And it was not because I wanted to be hired at a turkey cooking place, uh, <laughs> but because I just wanted, it was topical and I wanted to, you know, play with some different skill sets. But that is that one portfolio example is the most viewed item on my portfolio. And I've won awards for that portfolio example. And, uh, and it's gotten me tons of work. And, and so don't be afraid to just pick a topic and, and create a course on it. Because uh, any employer or client that's worth working for, even if the thing that you create is in, isn't instructionally sound or it's not complete, they'll be able to see through that to go, oh, I can see what skills they applied here uh, or what they did here that made that work. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And yeah. In fact... I have a colleague who uses a course on how to dress a cat right along those lines. No one is ever going to yeah. need to get certified, for example, on how to do that. <laughs> but it's fun and it's memorable. And 
yeah, you might look past the instructional design component or even the content to really get a sense for what can be done. And I think you make a really good point about the fact that the clients that you want to work with are the ones who are going to be able to do just that and recognize the skill set and the creativity that Mm -hmm. go into producing an example like that. And that is where that portfolio gets you hired. I love that as an example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, along those lines, is there anything that we should do or consider to protect our work when we're sharing it in a public forum? And I'm thinking, are watermarks useful? Is there a specific branding? Is there anything that we should be concerned about as far as people looking through our work and, you know, perhaps wanting to borrow something from our work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've been on the receiving end of, of people either not st- yeah, well, I will say stealing my work. I yeah. uh, one time, I one time, uh, it was it was it was really awkward for this person. But I live for these moments because <laughs> I love I love I love these moments. I was uh, interviewing a candidate uh, in my last job when I managed a team, and I was going through this person's portfolio, and they had this example, and I was like, "Gosh, that looks so familiar!" And lo and behold, it was. Uh, it was a demonstra- it was a, a demo course that I had created years ago and shared on the articulate community. And they took it, they downloaded it, and they replaced out some of the content, but the essence of what it was was not their work. It was my work. Wow. Um, and that was really awkward for them. Uh, I got a good <laughs> laugh out of it. Um, <laughs> Guessing they didn't get a job. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't get a job with me. Um, <laughs> but I you know there's a, another individual in our industry. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, and she uh, a few years ago, she had somebody essentially copy her entire website, the structure, the I mean, the wording, and uh, and it ultimately affected her search engine optimization. Yeah. It was it was pretty significant. And so, uh, what she did is after she got it taken down, uh, she went and got her website protected with. Um, something called DMCA. It's a, yes. it's a, a, a protection service that can help protect. It verifies ownership of a website and uh, the content on that website. I haven't used watermarks or anything like that. I mean, there, I, I've come to the conclusion that whether somebody blatantly rips something off by copying and pasting it or rips it off by just manually redesigning it, those people are going to exist nonetheless. And maybe, I don't know if this is a privileged viewpoint of me, but uh, anybody who were to do that, uh, I would feel safe calling them out. And I, I, I don't feel like that would hurt me within the industry. It would probably hurt them within the industry. You know what I mean? Uh, I guess, I, I guess my point is, is those people are going to exist. And if that's what they're doing, they're copying what you've done. Well, then a that probably means you've done something right. That's copy worthy, um, and you know, the, I, I just don't pay a lot of mind. I yeah, maybe that's not the best answer, but I, I just don't worry about those people. No, I think it's a really valid viewpoint, really. And you know, as I was as I was asking that question, I was kind of thinking there is that concept of imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. Mm -hmm. And so to some extent, you might even expect that once you have a really great portfolio in place. But it is interesting to think about the different perspectives. And again, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. It's probably a right or wrong answer for you. But it makes sense to think about it as far as what you're putting out there and what you're comfortable offering up 
to be consumed by the general public, really. So I think it's it's great to reflect on that. Those are some really important insights. So I know we've had just a great chance to pick your brain on so many aspects of portfolio development. Are there any additional best practices or lessons learned or go-to resources that you would want to share with those who are listening with us today? Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons and tons and tons of resources popping up online every day about building portfolios. And if you just do, you know, uh, a Google search, you'll you'll come across a lot of uh, a lot of uh, great content out there. I guess the best practices or tips I would share would be, um, you know, don't. There's always a million reasons not to do something, and yeah. I think you know, building a portfolio seems overwhelming, and it seems like something that you really have to get right the first time. And so, there's all these reasons people put it off and kick that can down the road. And whether it's getting their domain purchased or the fear of the technology of building it or not feeling good enough. And the truth is, is, you know, your portfolio is a living and breathing representation of what your skill set is right now. And so you can build your portfolio today and feel good about it. And then a year from now, you're not going to feel good about it. And, and that's, that's normal because you're, as, as your skills grow, you're going to go back and update your portfolio. And so there's always a million reasons not to do something. Just go, just go start with a one page, something really simple and get it out there and then iterate on it over time. It's not, you know, once you've created it, it's not set in stone. Um, my portfolio has been through several iterations over the years and that's because my skills have grown in the, in that time. And so I, I try to keep that represented and, and current on my portfolio. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I do the exact same thing. And some days it's just because I look at the website and think, I'm tired of this. It's it's time for a change. And so mm -hmm. it's good to know that it's important to incorporate that iteration throughout. So I love it. I think that's a great tip. Tim, at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests five rapid fire style questions. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Great, great. Give us one book that all talent development professionals must read and why. All right. Well, uh, without being, I guess, if I'm, I'll be biased. I'll say my book <laughs> first, the <laughs> e-learning designer's handbook. Uh, that, I'll put that out there. But outside of my book, I would also recommend anyone go out and read uh, Map It by Kathy Moore. It's a fantastic book on uh, backwards design to help you focus on creating learning that helps people do things rather than just know things. Nice. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. One tool. Yeah, I would say uh, I feel like I was living under a rock because I feel like I've, I've heard people talk about this tool for a long time. But Miro is a tool that I use mm -hmm. uh, more and more so frequently good. for whiteboarding and creating outlines and all of that stuff. I, I love it. Yes, I've heard great things. Now, what is the best piece of talent development related advice that you have ever been given? Best piece of advice? Yeah, it kind of goes back to my answer to the first question. Uh, but the, the best piece of advice I've ever been given is that our learners don't need to know anything. They need to be able to do things. And so, um, yeah, of course, they might know, need to know things in order to do it. But we shouldn't be starting with what they need to know. We should be starting with what they need to do and work backwards from that. So learners don't need to know things. They don't need to understand things. They don't need to be aware of things. They don't need to remember things. They need to do things first. And we should be focusing on that. 
That makes sense. Absolutely. So what's one thing that you're excited about that's coming up this 2022 year? Hmm. Well, um, personally, I mean, I'm, I'm building a new home, so I'm excited to get into my new home. Uh, yeah. And then I'm, I am excited for 2022. I'm excited to hopefully uh, get back to some in-person conferences. We'll see. Um, that's what I'm most excited about. Get back on the road. Yes, yes. A lot of people are relating right now. Now, last question. What is the one thing within our industry that you are deeply grateful for right now? Uh, I would say I'm, I'm most grateful for right now, and this has been true for the last 18 months or so, is uh, how much more people have been willing to connect and network. I feel like I have networked and connected with more people from the comfort of my home than I ever did traveling to conferences, you know, several times a year. And so I feel like people's willingness to connect and reach out and network and give their expertise to others uh, has been uh, super rewarding for me. That is fantastic. And absolutely agree with you on all points. It has been kind of nice to network from yoga pants, to be honest. But yes. <laughs> Tim, I, I have to say this has been a fantastic conversation. We are so grateful to you for sharing your time and your passion and your expertise. And I do have to say, I'm going to blame you just a little bit when I take my weekend to go back through that portfolio just one more <laughs> time, start to take a different look at it. But thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, a big thank you to my co-host Leticia as well. Absolutely. This was so fun, Tim. And again, another reason why I see these episodes as an insightful learning experience. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Enjoyed what you learned in today's episode? Go to the Metro DCATD LinkedIn page and share your learning with us. Hashtag Beltway Broadcast. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review.